Hey, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So I've got a good one for you today. I met Dr. Nick at a healthcare event. It was a HPN event in Milton Keynes, the Health Partnership Network event. We just got chatting and instantly I was like, you're going to be my friend or I want you to be my friend. He was just so positive and so enthusiastic about his work. And I do mention this in the podcast. And it's not that my other colleagues and peers aren't, but he is on another level. (laughs) And I think as the interview goes on, you'll see what I mean. It's so refreshing. It's so lovely. It's so motivating. We talk about Nick's view on primary care network, the future of primary care at scale. Is there a future? Is there not? Some of the projects that Nick is involved in. We talk about integrated neighbourhood teams. We talk about leadership and the importance of engagement, but it's just wrapped up in a really lovely message. Please listen to this towards the end because as positive as Nick is, he shares the motivation behind why he lives his life the way he does. I really enjoy speaking with him and I've asked him to speak at Best Practice. I'm acting like Best Practice is my conference. It's not. I'm chairing the Transformation Theatre and it's going to be good. There is a fantastic lineup of speakers and I've hand selected some of them specifically because they're fab. So you'll get a preview of Nick here today. Enjoy, share, and I will see you in the next episode. Hey, Nick, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Really well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. So we met at the HPN event in Milton Keynes. And when we were talking, I just thought he loves his job. Like he's so enthusiastic. (laughs) Most primary care network clinical directors don't share your zest for life. So I just thought it'd be really nice for you to come and share your experience today, what you love about the job, where do you see things going in regards to primary care and general practice. So could you share with our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? So I'm Nick Merrifield. I'm a GP in uh, Southwest London. I've been a GP for about 12 years. I do a number of different things. So foremost, a, a GP, which I'm very proud of. I'm a, a PCN clinical director, which I've been from the start. So it's coming up to four years now. I'm a duration director in Kingston. I've got a role in the primary care development in Southwest London on the ICS for Kingston. I'm a GP trainer, husband, father of two. I am an enthusiast. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people say that. And perhaps perhaps it is unusual. But I, I guess I, I think I'm an enthusiast for most things in life. That's partly my personality. But also, I think there is there's a lot to be enthusiastic about in PCNs. It's a challenging role, but I think it's got great potential. And I think we've achieved a lot in our PCN over the last four years. We have five practices, about 62,000 patients. So we're on, the I guess, the larger side. But in a way, we're, we're kind of a fairly traditional PCN as you know there's five sovereign practices we haven't all kind of merged like I think a number have up and down country. I was keen to 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 look at where PCNs were going right at the start. So it all happened fairly quickly really in 2019 but it was clear that this was going to be used if things worked out well as a, as a model of care going forward. So this is obviously well before Buller and the and that idea about integrated neighborhood teams but you know the idea of uh, kind of locality working was was absolutely around then before Fuller you know gave it a new name but it's 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 not a new idea really. 
So I was keen to develop a, a PCL around this, a similar footprint to local council, which is Kingston Council in our case, and our community services provider, and, and think about a neighbourhood and population health. I think that's the real potential and the real beauty of, of PCNs. You know, I, I think doing something at a scale that's big enough to do something across a population was the big idea with PCNs. It remains so, but not so big that it's it's unwieldy and, and difficult. Primary care is a really dynamic place. You know, we, we, we're really innovative. And the conference of the week just demonstrated that, didn't it, in, in a number of ways. I think it's in some ways it is easier to, to do things on a smaller scale than on a, on a scale of a, um, a large trust or, um, you know, the whole of the region, for example. You know, there's a, there's a big infrastructure behind that. There are political forces within councils and behind yeah. um, mayoral areas and, and, you know, acute trusts, whereas a, a primary care network really has a bit more autonomy and it's got the scale to, it's big enough to do something exciting, small enough to do something, you know, dynamic and be nimble. I think that principle is something we've really run with. What are you doing that's exciting? PCNs keep changing, don't they? So, so I, I guess at this kind of time of year, we, we're just getting used to the idea of the new DES. So, so there's the kind of the, which is, I guess, business as usual, isn't it? So that's having to f- figure out how to run enhanced access services, looking at our, uh, the, you know, the, the access drive, which is the big thing for this year. But what we're doing is, is exciting is, is how we, how we structure ourselves to do that. We're having to pivot a bit around the, the kind of PCN activities versus the, the individual practice activities. But in terms of projects, we're doing some really exciting work around carers which came out of feedback we had around what a big challenge it is to be a be a carer of children with additional needs, with older people who've, you know, are frail and need a lot of care and with everyone in between. So that's something which the more I looked into, the more I thought, goodness, this is a really huge population of people who are contributing massive amounts to what well, UK PLC, to the NHS, to individuals in their community. And we need to do something something for that, that group. We bid for the money from the ICS at the end of 2022, which we were successful in, in winning. So we, we employed some care coordinators across three organisations. This was a partnership um, bid across the hospital, my PCN and the Kingston Carers Network, which is a local charity that supports carers. Just looking at discharge planning, also um, advanced care planning, really helping carers plan for the future. What would they do if they got ill? How would they manage their that issue that may arise all of a sudden with their kind of cared for person. And we ran a big event about a month ago with, with all sorts of different organisations. And it was it was really striking how many organisations also felt this was a big need. Yeah, Alzheimer's Society got involved, MenCup got involved, the council were really supportive, the hospital really in, in, involved about cancer screening. We thought, oh, this is great, we can tap into people. So we had about I think we had nine organisations represented in this big hall, like an, like an exhibition space. We had 130 people turn up. We fed everybody tea and had kind of hot meal. Um, local restaurants supported us. And it was a great example of community coming together for the community. It took me a bit back a bit to the whole COVID vaccine programme, which I think, well, maybe we'll come to, but it's that really kick-started us as, in some ways as an organisation. The carers thing's been great, and we're going to be running a monthly similar type of work, you know, with with medical teams, with a solicitor, carer support, as well as with uh, our social prescribing team, which is which is fantastic, and they've really helped drive this. But with the community, you know, in a church hall, with local organisations giving us pro bono support, um, food, and everything else, so 
it's really looking at the community from the ground up. You know, what, what's needed? What does the community value? There isn't an area of the country that hasn't got a huge need for carers. So can I ask on that? So you mentioned the Fuller Report yeah. and integrated working. Taking that carer's example, what is an integrated neighbourhood team? Is what you have created with your carer's work stream, is that an integrated care team supporting your carers? Or is that just a project of people coming together and collaborating over a need and a pot of money which was made available? Great question. I think there's a lot of different ideas of what an integrated neighbourhood team is and can be. And that, in a way, is the challenge, you know, because if if you talk to lots of people, are you working with other organisations in your neighbourhood? Yes. Have you formed a team in which you're doing business as usual every day as a team? Probably not. So I think this is something which is developing into something which could be called an integrated neighbourhood team. I don't think it's that at the moment. But also, I think integrated neighbourhood teams have to have a focus. I think it's very difficult to form something that's comprehensive and does everything across a neighbourhood team. I think doing something with a specific focus is is one way to start and to something to build on. So I, I think working with carers. Um, so no, I think at the moment it's a project. I wouldn't want to, okay. you know, paint it as anything bigger than that. But it's it's something which absolutely would be keen to for it to grow. So we, we've got a great relationship with our community provider. Your healthcare, they're called, and they're a CIC, they're a social enterprise, and they they do work in in kind of PCN neighbourhood type geographies. We're increasingly building great relationships across our patch with you know our community matrons and our you know team from neurodisability and et cetera, et cetera. So I think neighborhood teams are something which which are going to grow, but are going to look quite different in different areas. The phrase integrated neighborhood teams and how the fuller writes it as really is day-to-day, everything is done collaboratively. I've not really read anywhere that's doing that really comprehensively yet. So I I, I think that's that's a work in progress. And project versus business as usual team is the distinction that I think is, is, is a good one. Hi, everyone. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Best Practice, where we will be interviewing some of the speakers and sponsors attending the event in Birmingham on the 11th and 12th of October. If you are already registered to attend, do let us know as we would love to meet you. And if you are still to register your place, please click on the link in the show notes. Now, let's jump back into this week's episode. So a lot of people that we work with feel like they don't have the energy and the time to do their normal day-to-day job and the pure CD role in doing the must-dos around primary care networks. So developing other projects which you don't have to do is the right thing to do, but you don't have to do it. Where do you find the energy to do that why do you think actually it is important that i myself personally going to take some of your time but the network and we draw resources that could be doing other things in the network to support this project i'm a believer in in communities i think the way that we structured our pcn has helped so i think it's helped that we're slightly larger than average which means our one power 50 management budget goes a little bit further it's about investing time in relationships with the other practices it's about setting up the governance really strongly, and it's about setting up a, a strong senior leadership team in the PCN. So I think they're the things that have supported us and then communicating really well at a kind of a board level. So I spend time meeting my kind of board members one-to-one to, to talk about where they're coming from. So we, we've got five practices, as I say, 
Each practice has a clinical partner and a practice manager, essentially, as part of the board. So that's that's 10 people. I meet those 10 people individually to talk about where they're, where they're coming from, how things are going. We've got a monthly board meeting, which which is a kind of formal business type meeting. But we have um, two or three half days a year when we will get away and talk about where we want to go. I don't ever feel that um, I'm the kind of president that can go off and into the sunset. It's a collaboration. You can't forget that because otherwise you haven't got the mandate and you're skating with the eye. So that's really important. We've got a senior team of managers. So I've got a fantastic general PCN manager who has got real drive. So she's the kind of COO. We've got an HR manager who helps with recruitment and, and all that sort of stuff, which is great. We've got a great finance team who, who oversee all that sort of thing. And we, we've got kind of project management. So my general manager, my my COO, has is, is got essentially two deputies that take on projects and do comms and social media and our patient engagement. So we, we very early on formed a patient reference group for the PCN, which has been really useful in feedback information and, and putting ideas to the public early. So having a strong team like that is, is great because you can ask people to write up proposals and take things to a, a board which can be looked at and, and chewed over and decided. Trying to s- spread the load a bit as well, because it's been really great having a you know a senior GP colleague taking the lead on cancer, somebody taking the lead on, on end-of-life care, another colleague who's doing a kind of leading on the mental health side of things, somebody who does cardiovascular disease, somebody who does prescribing and meds management and overseeing a pharmacy team. So trying to spread the load is really good. And then creating space for those partnership conversations with, with the other organisations locally, with the community at large, to sort of decide whether we, we want to take on things that are, are not in the desk. Yeah, and that's a big decision, isn't it? Because a lot of PCN CDs out there will say, well, you're mad. This is mission creep. You're not there to do that. I, I see it as a bigger picture. I want to be an anchor institution in my community, someone who as an organisation that provides really high quality primary care, but sees community healthcare as part of our remit. And some of that is not done by us as a GP practice conglomerate, but it's done in a much broader sense. We're still doing lots of work on health inequalities. It's much weaker in the DES than it was in previous years. I think it's important. I'm excited for the stuff we're doing. And, but you've got to bring people with you because it's a team effort. How do you bring people with you? How have you managed to get clinical leads heading up those areas? Because again, in other areas, the CD is a clinical lead for everything. Look, it's, it's not always straightforward. And, and some people are more enthusiastic than others. I think some of it's you've got individuals who've got a passion for something, which is fantastic. In other areas, there's no one who's hugely keen, but there'll be someone who will support it. And of course, we fund it. We empower people to make decisions. But also, I think it's important to think about your more junior cohort of clinicians across the piece. Well, there's lots of talk about the trainees and resilience and burnout and stuff. But I think supporting new, newly qualified GPs to take on leadership roles, which are well supported, they are defined. I think PCN is a fantastic place to start doing some of that. It's about mentoring people who are the leaders of the future. Well, the leaders of the present as well. They can take something on which is exciting. And you can say, well, here's your budget for this. This is what we're wanting to do. These are your stakeholders. Just that language, you know, stakeholder, what does that mean? You know, people don't know what we're talking about unless you start involving them in in meetings and growing talent. So that's something else which has worked well. And look, it doesn't always work out. And um, ultimately, I'm I'm the backstop clinical lead for things if, if something doesn't work out, which is fine. It's about listening to people and about thinking about where practices are coming from. It's not always team biscuits. It's not it's not easy. And people disagree. 
staff leave and you think you've got a great stable team and then things fall apart. So that is the nature of leadership sometimes. Some practices are really struggling and they don't just necessarily need money. If you give somebody more money, that doesn't always solve their problems. In fact, it often doesn't solve their problems. There's real challenge in primary care. And if you've got practices in an, in a neighbourhood who can support each other and there's contractual vehicles do that, then that's that's useful. You've got to sell PCNs constantly to practices to say this is what we're all about. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you proudly in partnership with 10,000 donors and their Gob for Good campaign. Gob for Good is all about getting as many people as possible to join the stem cell registry. Only 3% of the UK are registered to be stem cell donors and only 0.4% of the global population. If you or a loved one have the devastating news that you have been diagnosed with a blood cancer, the chances of you finding your blood stem cell match is significantly reduced if you have a minority ethnic heritage. It is really, really simple. All you need to do is click into the show notes or visit the Gob for Good website at gobforgood.com and get yourself signed up to the registry. You could one day receive that life-saving call or one day you may need that life-saving call. Now, let's jump back into this week's episode. What do you think the future holds? And are you concerned of what's going to happen? Will they wait till March the 31st to say, we're going to do something radically different and it needs to be up and running by the 1st of April? It's the Federation where we've seen that the most, actually. So GP Fed, I've, I've been on that for 12 years. We, we, we formed this 2011. So we're, we're a really early one. And every year we get a call on the Thursday or something. So uh, we, we've got a pot of money. We're A&E's, is rounds. Please give us an urgent care service. We all need to start on Monday morning. It just happens all the time. We're used to this mad drug, mad panic. So that is the worry, yeah, that we'll be told sometime in the middle of March that it's all changing. It would be really, really stressful if that's how it works. I think there's supposed to be a new primary care contract in April 25. Surely they will just extend what we've got at the moment for a year while they figure it out. But yeah, we're used to last minute decisions. And the DES this year was, was quite a big change. Uh, and Do you it was, think? Well, a whole lot of stuff got stripped away. It was different from before. They've guaranteed the, the R's spend. So I don't think we'll be making people redundant. But how it's how it's structured, what PCNs will be asked to do, what we'll need to look like. I don't think we're going anywhere. I think primary care at scale is something which has got legs. And I think it's going to grow. I think there's more and more that will be done at a scale. Whether we're called PCNs or not, I mean, you've got this huge structure up and down the country that they've created in England anyway. Why would you get rid of it and start something else? They might call it something else because they like doing that. But scrapping it and making people start again in a totally new set of relationships, I think that would be madness. And I think primary care at scale will be asked to do more and more. I think there'll be more more locally commissioned services which are encouraged to be done at PCN kind of level or certainly creative in a sense that it would be hard to do it any other way. I, I think looking at the, the same day access stuff is something which clearly has been looked at this year. And, and some areas are going to be pooling their same day service, which is something we were looking at actually three years ago, just before COVID. We were setting up a model to, to do a same day service across the PCN, but it didn't quite work out. But, it, you know, that that's I can certainly see some benefits in that. But so I think as we go forward, that's going to be developed more and more nationwide. I see a bright future for PCNs. I think the model that we've got at the moment will be built on because I think it makes sense. 
And do you see a bright future for both GP federations and primary care networks working together alongside and sometimes competing for services? This is where local variation is so huge. It was quite interesting talking to all the Southwest London Federation leads about six months ago. So uh, Southwest London is at the ICS. It's got six boroughs. It's got six federations, one per borough. Each one's got a number of PCNs. And they've structured each other in a number of quite different ways. So federations in quite a lot of areas actually doing a lot of the infrastructure support for PCNs. So one of our neighbouring boroughs, they really are set up like one organisation. The federations see themselves as hosting five PCNs, but they employ 150 R staff. They've got a, a board and a very much a corporate structure. They've got a CEO and a chief people officer. and a, They sound like a hospital trust. So I think you lost a lot of the local nuance in some of that. But you can see how that works because it, in some ways it could be seen as a bit easier because you do everything in a very kind of corporate way. That's one extreme where you almost don't really have PCNs. You know, you have them by name, but it's all really hosted by one larger organisation. In my patch, we do all the recruitment and we are pretty self-contained as an organisation. We work very closely with our federation and they give us some support on infrastructure things. They run their own clinical services. All the clinical directors sit on the board of the Fed, as well as some non-clinical directors. So I think there are things which work really well across the borough or a bigger footprint where PCNs really do well to work together on things. How you mandate that across the country? You know, if you're sitting in NHS England, so what, what, what should federations do? It's quite difficult because we've evolved in such different ways. Some federations do very little. Some federations are really quite large and have a reasonably big turnover. I think they've definitely got a place. And I think they, they, they went quiet over the last two years, three years maybe. It's all about PCNs. Federations have quietly not only survived, but thrived and grown in an awful lot of areas and taken on new things. Long-term plan talked about care out of hospital. We need to be getting away from um, hospitals as the default place. We need to be working more with the community providers and our primary care conglomerates. And I think that's where federations uh, have got potential to work really well across PCNs, supporting PCNs development, doing infrastructure stuff. So I I think at that kind of slightly larger scale, federations have have got real future. But it's so patchy, so variable. But I, I think they both contribute. So at the start of the interview, you mentioned your GP partner, federation director, clinical director, GP trainer, husband, dad. What have I missed? Primary care development lead for Kingston. Okay. Yeah, all these hats. And what you did in your spare time. My spare time. Yeah, my spare time. You're well, I'm cycling to, to Amsterdam a week today, so that would be fun. I play the violin in the local orchestra. I heard a podcast the other day by a guy who was talking about time and his energy levels and, and what he and he was just saying, but I just love life. Life is brilliant. <laughs> And I think, yeah, you see, that's that's great. And and I think all my life, I've always done loads of stuff. I, I find people really interesting. I really like meeting new people and seeing where they're coming from and what makes them tick. And and I think that's endlessly interesting. And I think I think it's a privilege to be able to to do these roles. I love being a GP. I do four sessions a week. It's kind of my identity alongside being a dad and a, and a husband, you know. I love taking on new challenges. I want to get everything out of life. I love traveling. I want to do it all. I'm one of those people. I've got really bad FOMO, you know, I don't want to miss out on anything. <laughs> you need to just have a, have a good system for having managers and support around different professional roles. 
kind of being serious for a minute, but but you, you do also need to create capacity to to develop new projects, to meet new people, and to cross fertilize professionally. And then you need to have downtime. I think it's a privilege to do this stuff. A hundred percent. I think if you've got the energy, it's amazing. I'm just sitting here thinking, Tara, you need to pull your finger out. You need to try a bit harder. We're all different. It is different. We're all different, aren't we? And we need to respect that. Some people might look at me and one, he's a nutcase and he needs to <laughs> calm down a bit. <laughs> he needs a bit of downtime. I enjoy all this project stuff and I think it's part of the excitement of life. Look, it's not all, always been straightforward in life. You know, I, so I went to like six different primary schools and we moved around a lot. Got a parent of, who was an alcoholic and had lots of health issues. We were homeless actually twice as a family. We moved different places. It was there was really dark, difficult times, but somehow things were made to to work. I guess seeing how it, how hard it is for other people. You know, I spend four sessions of my week meeting people in all sorts of different walks of life. There's people out there who have got such a tough time. I, I feel incredibly privileged. I am incredibly privileged by any measure of the opportunities that I've had, the opportunities that I've got, and the capacity to to build stuff. So I, I guess, in all seriousness, I, I see that as a bit of a responsibility of somebody who's got the capacity to build community, support others, develop people. And I think I've got the capacity to do it. I feel like I kind of should. Maybe that's the kind of guilt thing, but I, I enjoy it. I think it's amazing. And I think what I said at the beginning, like when we sat down, I was just thinking, oh, this man's amazing. So whether you feel guilty or not, it's infectious. And I think it's a lovely quality to have. And I do think it's rare. Don't get me wrong. I work with people that love their job. They do. And they're very passionate about the role and trying to make a difference. But you're just on another level. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'm amazing. I really don't. But yeah. I will take the compliment. It's very, it's very generous of you, Tara. And I, I think you're pretty amazing as well in the stuff you've created. I think variety is really beneficial and it's really powerful. Thinking about my day yesterday, you know, so I, I I had a day which started at eight and then finished at about seven. It's really it was a quite a long day. It was pretty intense, but you know, I did a morning clinic, I did a mini tutorial, I had a board meeting, I had three fairly tricky conversations in the afternoon. I went to a cafe for half an hour to sit and think about what I was going to say to you today, actually. Um, <laughs> and, and then one of my fellow clinicians just needed a bit of support, needed a bit of tidying up in the, the day. So I did an hour and a half of, of triaging just so he didn't finish too late. So it was, a, it was a long old day, but it, it was a bit of everything. I think a lot of GPs are struggling with, with doing lots of sessions because it's very intense work. If you can break it up and you can use your brain in different ways, I think that gives us more resilience. Thank you so, so much. I really, really appreciate your time and I hope I get to speak to you again. Thanks, Tyra. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review. I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram and on LinkedIn. Just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.